Hello everyone and welcome again to another episode of M365 Voice. My name is Mike Magalani. I'm Sarah Hazi. And I'm Antonio Mayo. And we are back today to the jar. It's been a while since we picked a, a question. Sarah? Has been. It's a little yeah. intimidating to just choose something from random. We got a lot of questions in here, so. See what we get. Here we go. Uh, how do you, how do you use Microsoft Forms? Oh. I have ideas about this one. That's yes. an interesting one. So this could be, um, maybe we ought to think about it in two ways, personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I have a few, few scenarios. I'll start with the personal one. Uh, personal slash community side. I, we've used it quite a bit in all the events that we've, we've ran in the past. When we do uh, M365 Saturdays, Shapemark Saturdays, Ottawa, different events, different summits. Um, we used it quite a bit to uh, for registrations uh, for specific, not the event registrations, but more registrations in, when we are running the event and for feedback forms. Uh, it's quite useful uh, for feedback forms to collect feedback in uh, about the uh, the event and the speakers in general. Those are good ones. Um, we use it actually for our podcast um, because we have a Microsoft form that we have built that people can submit questions to us from a podcast perspective. So I know that we take in some of our podcasting questions actually via Microsoft forms. And then the favorite part is, I think I have the Microsoft form built in my tenant, and then I have a Power Automate workflow that when a new form response is submitted, it automatically emails the uh, responses to both of you so that you have access to see the responses, even though the form lives in my tenant. Yeah, yeah. we get those emails every once in a while. Uh, we'll often use like in a work capacity when we are either, um, when we start a project, a consulting project with a client, we often start the projects off with discovery workshops. And sometimes those have questionnaires that we'll prepare for the people that are going to attend those workshops and we'll try to configure those in a Microsoft form. It's just really easy and quick to create that, that survey or questionnaire that you want to send out to people. And then uh, on the back end of a project, when we're running you know, a pilot, let's say a pilot rollout of Microsoft 365 or Teams or whatever, if we're running a really high touch pilot over a number of weeks, we'll often want to give those pilot users um, the opportunity to give feedback. So sometimes we'll send out a different survey a short survey, but a different survey at the end of each week of the pilot time period. Um, that way, you know, it's really quick for us to create the form. It's quick for us to edit the form because often a customer wants to change the questions or might change the wording at the last minute. Um, and then just really easy to get the results. Do you make that form available for people to fill out anonymously, either via a hyperlink or a QR code? It depends on the situation. If it's the two circumstances we ju I just talked about where we've been engaged by a client on a consulting project, then it's not usually anonymous because if we have additional questions, we want to follow up with the actual person. So in those cases, it's not. I don't do anonymous forms too, too much actually in my case. Yourself? 
I do one from a personal perspective. So one of the things that I like to do is, um, and it's top of mind because I was just recently speaking at a conference, but when I do community work or speaking at conferences, um, I generally have a thank you slide at the end of my presentation with a QR code on it. And that QR code leads people to a Microsoft form that they can fill out to connect with me afterwards. Um, when they fill out that form, it basically has questions like your name, first name, last name, email address, um, where we connected or where I met you at, what event I met you at. And then um, I actually take those form responses and it kicks an email to them that's saying an email from me saying, hey, here's my email address. It was great to meet you, person's first name at the event that we met at. Here's how to stay connected with me and sends them my blog a link to our podcast, a link to my LinkedIn. So I actually use Microsoft Forms as a nice to meet you QR code front end to connect with people who attend sessions. That's cool. I like that idea, actually. It's pretty cool. Nice, nicer than a business card. A little more interesting and quicker follow up. Mm -hmm. I have stacks of community business cards and they're actually really attractive and I've never handed out a single one because I just refuse to carry them. I can't think of anything worse than having to carry all of that paper. I like this much better. And I can actually then take all of those forms responses. I just have them sent over to a SharePoint list and it gives me more context because then I actually know the person's name and what event we met at and things like that. So I have more information. That's, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, something that I've never used a QR code with a Microsoft Forms form. Does it generate the QR code for you, or where does that QR yeah. code bit happen? Go ahead, Mike. Yeah, it does. It does it for you, so you can you can have a short URL right now. You can have a QR code as well. So you no, you don't have to go through the step of generating the QR code yourself. Uh, so it does that for you automatically. It's pretty it's useful. Just, just an have... option when you publish the form, isn't it? That you can say, "Give me a URL and or give me a QR code." Yeah, That's and cool. it's useful when it's on the big screen, right? So people just can take a picture of it. Yep. I'm not the first person who's come up with that. I've seen other speakers who have done that. So I learned that from experience from other really smart people in the community that did that. But I like it for those kind of purposes. I think it's helpful for those quick kind of forms. Yep. Although now you have to worry about QR codes very differently than we did a few years ago when I created this because there are a lot more people concerned about untrustworthy QR codes or QR mm -hmm. codes that uh, could lead to people being having their data Correct. disturbed. That's right. Um, uh, I have done a few on the business side, um, Microsoft Forms, when I get engaged with, with a client that have never had um, a tenant yet. So they are rolling out the tenant to the organizations. And if it's a large organization, they're going to do it in stages. So they're not going to onboard all the users. So while doing that, they want to have an intake form or an onboarding process to request a new team site or a Microsoft team or a SharePoint site. And because some of the users may not have been yet, don't have an M365 account, so we can't use Power Apps. So Microsoft Forms was the alternative that fakes all the information, even though we can't really validate or vet properly the person or the email address to do the automations, but we to yeah. take the chance that even if there is a typo in an email address, we can catch it and then takes that information, puts it in a SharePoint list and, and kicks off a Power Automate as well um, that 
starts yeah. the actual automations of creating a Microsoft team or a SharePoint site. Uh, so we've taken that instead of a power app, if they use the, the, the form to, to, to automate the creations of a team or, or a SharePoint site. I've actually done the same thing in a, a particular customer environment. Like it's very common to build that, you know, site request or intake process and then automated workflows that actually create and fulfill the site or, or the team for you. Um, in cases where the form that people need to fill out is a very simple form, mm -hmm. right? Maybe a few questions, right. not really complex about the form. I actually find doing that form in, in Microsoft Forms is much easier and faster than trying to do a Power App for it. Um, Power Apps are great, but it's, it's, a, it's a heavy lift. You're, you're building something, it's not as simple or as quick as creating Microsoft Forms. So if you do it in Forms, it dumps it to a list and the Power Automate workflow picks it up and actually you know, does the creation of the site or configuration of the site. It's just as effective as if you use something else to capture it. And I think it's a much lower, um, I think uh, in, an information worker who's even more of a beginner or yeah. an intermediate information worker can quickly and easily spin up and publish a Microsoft form uh, sure. and make it look pretty and attractive out of the gate um, versus Power Apps, even for a very simple Power App, I think in my mind requires an intermediate level of knowledge and they very quickly get to advance. So Forms is a very nice intrigate perspective, simple, effective, and easy. You can customize with a background picture and color scheme and yeah. even generate a quick Power Automate workflow for Microsoft yep. Form in under 20 minutes. Uh, oh, yeah. It's very easy and quick. Agreed. Yeah. And, and Mike, you brought in a really good circumstance when it's users that are not onboarded yet, mm -hmm. but they don't have an account, they don't have a license yet. They won't be able to uh, work with a Power App. So that's, that, exactly. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a great circumstance as well. Yeah, it, it helped It helped quite a bit for a couple of clients. Uh, it, it solved a big issue of instead of filling out manually those PDF forms or sending an email, it's uh, it uh, it expedited the process a lot more. Yeah. Now, one circumstance where I've seen issues with trying to use Power Apps is um, with some of our government clients in Canada, they're concerned about where the data is stored and forms still stores its data in the United States or in Europe, if you're in a European tenant. So being in Canada, if it's a government client, you do need to be concerned sometimes about where the data is stored. And forms, unfortunately, does not get stored in, in the Canadian tenants. Correct. And, and the, the two cases that I've mentioned are governments, and they were well aware of that, and they were fine, actually. They were fine with that? Yeah, Good. they were fine with that. Uh, because good. it's, they're not, we're not storing they call it unclassified data, right? So we're not storing any anything that is classified. So that we're okay with it. That's good. So that's where I have uh, my biggest concern with forms is that if you are working for an organization that has confidential data, client data, personal data, or even legal record hold needs, where you need to be able to identify what's in these forms or identify forms that are intaking some of that, some of your most sensitive information types, and you are out of luck. And uh, because the form data themselves are, I believe, stored in Azure Blob Storage, it's not identifiable. And from a tenant admin perspective, once you enable people with the licensing checkbox to use forms, you can't mind to determine 
who has forms open, who's got backend data, what kind of data are they storing? It's a black box, which sure. means many organizations, in my opinion, can't even roll it out uh, because we don't have any of those capabilities, no DLP, no data retention, no compliance settings, no ability to even require registration of your forms like you could Office 365 groups. Yeah, I, I've seen that that concern actually at one of the Canadian um, post-secondary institutions um, we've worked with where they did not want to roll out forms because they couldn't control what are what are people asking for in a form, right? Someone goes and creates a form and asks for a social security number, a credit card number, you know, other PII, and they send it out to a whole whack of people and some people unsuspectingly provide that and they have no visibility into exactly what people are capturing. Yeah, you're right. That's that's a sometimes a real blocker for people rolling it out. It's a huge problem. And maybe if we can get somebody at Microsoft to hear us on this podcast, um, I would love, I've been waiting, frankly, for years, plural, um, to have them put something on the roadmap around security and compliance controls around Microsoft Forms. And unfortunately, I'm still not yeah. hearing anything. And it creates a big problem for regulated company companies and in regulated industries. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's another issue I face when I when I do a lot I do a lot of um, tenant to tenant migration, and this is the first issue is we don't know how many forms you have. You tell us you're going to migrate forms, I can't migrate forms. One, it's, there's no migration API for for it. Second, I cannot tell you how many forms you have. You're going to have to go and ask the users if they have forms and report back and share the forms with us to be able to kind of view it. So yeah. we depend on the users to. To let us know, otherwise the forms are staying behind. That's right. That's yeah, luck with that. That's cute. Yeah. I mean, how would you do that? Because if I got a request, right, Mike, if you even sent me a request, I'll tell you how many emails I have in my inbox. Clearly, but I will not go and look at how many forms I have. I'll just tell you I have none. Because why, as a user, would I? I mean, that's cute. Right, Sarah. If you were to email Mike, that the email would just get lost in his inbox, anyways. <laughs> he too couldn't tell you how many. There's a special. Um, it might be the only circular file folder that he has, but that's where all of the Sarah emails automatically go. I think. Yeah, it pops out everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, you raised some great uh, capabilities that I think should be added to forms at some point. So, data loss prevention policies applied to forms would be excellent. Retention policies on forms would also be excellent, right? Have them automatically expire after a period of time if you want, or perhaps yes. get more granular, but at least some basic retention policies would be helpful. If, if we could actually get something 100%, because if we could get a basic tenant level setting to auto expire forms within a certain time range, then at least companies could say, well, as an exception, maybe the business need outweighs that, but we're going to set a short retention period. And maybe, you know, maybe we're only going to say 60 days or 90 days or whatever that time limit is, but it would give you something versus That's today. It's a black, it's literally like a black box. That's right. That's right. And some sort of an API, even just PowerShell commandlet, where we can query what forms are out there, what is being asked, what data was collected by those forms. From a min perspective, to be able to get access to that would enable migrations. It would enable audits, right? A lot of kind of standard procedures that we have with other services. Exactly. I'm very impressed, Mike, that you have clients that want to migrate their forms data. That's a pretty. Oh. That's a client who uses forms heavily. Oh yeah, I had I had one client that they reported back 
I think it was in hundreds. It was a big client. Uh, it was anywhere between, I think, if I remember the number, two to 300 forms that we had to actually say, okay, well, this is a manual st steps. So go yeah. back to the users and say if they really want it, because we're going to have to recreate all the forms manually. Yeah. Uh, so we, we got it down to like 47, 48 forms that we have to recreate. That's good. How, yeah, did, you, how did you actually do that? Recreated the forms and then ported manually, like exported the form data results and then imported them into a new form in the new tenant? No, it's just basically um, the easiest way, two screens go through each each form and recreate it from scratch. So it's recreating the form, not the form submissions, because that you could sync right. up to a SharePoint library and then you yeah, could yeah, use exactly. the migration yeah. tool to move that over. This is the input form itself. The, okay. the input form itself. Yeah, the, the, the results, we exported the results into Excel. We just gave them the Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. yeah. But to be clear, so, you could migrate the form responses if the user had those synced up to um, dumped out two Excel files that were saved somewhere, synced up to SharePoint list, you could do that. But again, that's a user-based control. You'd have to rely on the individual users to have that set up for their forms. Exactly, yeah. Well, I like forms a lot. I found a lot of uses for it personally. I think that some of the key security limitations that we've talked about really can make it dicey depending on what the, um, the customer needs. Agreed. Yeah. Any question question for you guys around if if someone has so user account has a forms license and they've been creating forms and then you take away their forms license, you know what happens to the forms behind the scenes? I'm quite sure it stays in blob storage. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It stays in the blob storage because it's not really in an M365 yeah. data store kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah, you're right. It stays in a in a, in a blob okay. storage. I thought perhaps after a period of time it gets deleted, but I'm guessing not. It probably just stays there. Here's the key question, though. When you're talking about Azure Blob Storage, isn't that the scariest part? That once things go into it, it just never dies? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that was a really good uh, good topic. Um, good uh, Good conversation. Uh, first time talking about Microsoft Forms, so hopefully uh, our audience uh, enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for listening, and until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.